0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Good morning. There we are. There we are. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. We're so uh, glad that you're joining us for worship this morning, especially on uh, this special occasion. Uh, we actually have a, a photo booth kind of thing set up out in the foyer uh, with an apron and. Uh, barbecue set up. (laughs) So if you want to get your family together for a photo, you can take that opportunity after the service. Well, before we get started this morning, I want to share a scripture with you from second Corinthians chapter six, verse 16 and verse 18. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord almighty. I don't know what kind of earthly father you may have had. Maybe you didn't have a father figure in your life, but you have the opportunity to have the best father of all, God himself. He is our father when we come to him. Will you stand with me this morning as we give him praise?
1: This morning, I just want to turn my attention. I believe I have a word for you. I hope it's going to be an encouragement to you to the men of our house and so ladies i'm going to ask you if you can silently participate for a while we'd appreciate it if you would a- wouldn't amen out loud too often and please don't elbow the man sitting beside you and please wait until the gathering's over and you're outside to tell you i told you so all men that i know of want to win in life god made us to be winners i believe that i think he put win in us uh, I don't know about you, I hate to lose. Uh, I don't even like to lose to Pat and Goff. Uh, I, I just hate to lose. But but it's amazing how sometimes what we use to define the win in our life. Uh, a lot of times we'll put the win on a, on a dollar amount. We'll think that we've made it if we get that much. And We put the win on a lot of different things. If our kids turn out right and if all these things... But I I want to talk to you about a win that's almost a guarantee. I think I know what God's win for you is, guys. It can be summed up in six words. A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. That win was attributed to a man in the Scripture that we're going to be looking at twice. And it's it's David in, in Acts chapter thirteen verse twenty two. It's going to be on the screen there. Uh, the scripture, Paul in his message, he says, and when he had removed him Saul, in other words, when God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. Now think of this: this is God's testimony of a man, and he said, "I have found David." The son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And all the wins that we men try to have, I want to be a good father, I want to be a good husband, good husband, good father, I want to be an honorable person, I want to be a fair businessman, I want to leave a legacy, I want to make a difference. All of those that we think are so important, and they are, they are second, in fact, they come with and are dependent upon this primary win. It's almost a guarantee. If I will be a man after God's own heart, He will make sure every other win comes to be in my life. But you see, to say a man after God's own heart is almost a paradox in our generation, in our culture. To put man and heart in the same phrase is a little complicated. You see, to say heart means you have feelings and emotion. To say man means you have little feelings and little emotion. But the reality is, guys, it's okay to have a heart and still be a man. You can be tough on the outside, tough mentally, tough about the things you've set your hand to do and still have an emotional you, still be sensitive to the things going on around you, still shed a tear every now and then because there's plenty to cry about in our world today. So I want us to look at David this morning and uh, look at him as a man. Now most of the time when we look at biblical characters... We always put them up on a pedestal and stuff. And, and you could do that with David because there's a scripture I found about David. It's found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16 if you have your Bibles or your iPhone and uh, or your Bible app. 1 Samuel 16, we're going to be looking there, but there's this one scripture def- description of David that just gets me. In verse 18, this is from the New Life Translation. It says, One of the young men said, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who plays music well. He was a musician. He's a man with strength of heart. He was courageous, a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's a mighty warrior. He's wise in his speaking. And most of the women would say, He speaks? You're not like my wife. She would say, Talk to me. Do you wives never say that to your husbands? I wish you'd just talk. Well, I've already used up all my words before I got there. Okay, y'all here with me this morning? He's a, he speaks, and it says that he's good looking. Surely the women can say amen to that. Okay. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. I don't know about you as a man, as I think about that, and I see it all of the way, a musician. he's courageous, he speaks, he's a man of war, he's good looking. I want to say, way to go, David. That makes me feel so much better as a man. But you see, that's not the whole story. The good thing about David is we have the whole story in the Scripture. Next to Jesus Christ, there's more written about David, his life, his words, his thoughts, his attitudes, than any other person in Scripture besides Jesus Christ. He appears, you know, there's 66 times in the Old Testament, 59 times he's, he's, he's uh, cited in the New Testament. He wrote 73 out of the 150 Psalms. And so David is a man whose story is on the pages of Scripture. And so often we think about King David and all of those things, and we don't realize that David was a man just like we are. He was a man given to temptation. He was a man easily distracted. He ran away from danger at times. He, he lied at times. He committed adultery and even tried to kill it up, cover it up with a killing. He had family issues. He had a dysfunctional family in a real way. And then, so you look at that and you say, well, he's a man after God's own heart. How can. How can David be called a man after God's own heart with a behavior like that? How can a man with imperfect behavior not disqualify himself from being considered a man of God? And so I want to take a look at David this morning and hopefully it to be an encouragement to you. First of all, David was God's choice. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord." Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Samuel in chapter 13 verse 14 had already had to tell Saul that the Lord had rejected him as king. But for quite a while, nothing changed in the kingdom. Saul was still king. Samuel didn't go and visit him anymore, but Saul was still king. And all that time, and here's what I want you to hear, all the time it looked like nothing was happening, something was happening. When it looked like nothing had changed, God is changing everything. And I think it would be a good word for us, when it looks like it's too late, it looks like nothing's happening, I want you to know, you never know what God is up to until He reveals it. So it was when he came, this is verse 6, so it was when he came that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And I, I just had to stop there. I think, how many times you've walked with the Lord long enough that you think you've got it all figured out? And you know just exactly what God's going to do. Well, i tell you what God ought to do. I'll tell you what He needs to do. But here's the thing. It's like you can predict it. He sees the lineup, these seven boys, but he's already made his pick. Eliab, head and shoulders above the rest. He's the man. Surely this is God's anointed. I love this story because it's so much like me. I just think sometimes, well, this is what God's going to do. And this just, I felt like God said, don't assume, don't anticipate, and especially don't judge by appearances. Because I don't look at things the way man does. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Six words. A man after God's own heart i look at the heart i love this story because it's so encouraging to those who feel left out or on the sidelines of life and listen it's also very humbling to the people who think they stand head and shoulders over everybody else you know most of us are in the first part whether we we literally have seen ourselves life seems to pass us by sometimes you never picked you're the last one I want you to understand, God never looks by performance. He looks at your heart. God has amazing grace toward the nobodies in life. Look at verse 10. Thus Jesse made the seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Can you imagine what that was like? Eliab, that's not him. There comes another one. No, no. This one, nah. This one, I don't think so. This one, nope. This one, sorry. This one, not him either. Finally, Samuel, I love the scripture verse. Samuel says to Jesse in verse eleven, "Are all are all the young men here?" Then Jesse said, "There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep." Are they all here? There remains the youngest. And Samuel says to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will we will not sit down till he comes. Have you ever wondered why wasn't David with them? Well, he had to keep the sheep. Well they had servants to keep the sheep. Later on one of the brothers says, Who have they left the sheep with? The servants? The servants were keeping the sheep, could have kept the sheep, but David was with them. Why wasn't David with them? There remains the youngest. Well, it must have been his age. Well, I think Eugene Peterson catches it. In in chapter 16, verse 11, in the Message Translation, it says this, Well, yes, there's the runt, but he's out tending the sheep. So Samuel ordered Jesse, Go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. There's the runt. Well, that's a lot different than the youngest. There's the runt. The Hebrew word that's used here can mean young or small, but it also can mean insignificant and unimportant. What this Scripture says is when Jesse said, you know, Samuel had told him to bring all of his sons... But he left one in the field. The runt. He was so insignificant and so unimportant to Jesse that he didn't even consider that he would be considered by God. And Samuel says, Well, it's none of these. Go get him. And I love this. David was the least in the father's estimation, he was unimportant that it wasn't even necessary to include him, and yet God saw him where he was. No one else may see you, but God sees you, and He knows your heart. They sent for David in verse 12, so he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy, that means red-headed, with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now, he's probably between 13 and 15 years old. David is. And Samuel has already, before they had brought in all the sons, Jesse had come before, and he had sanctified all the other sons. They'd gone through the ceremony of cleansing and gotten them all ready to be chosen for God. And God says, nope, not any of them. Go get David. David comes in unsanctified unclean, smelling like a sheep. And God says, that's the one. That's the one. And oftentimes when you hear sermons about David and why God chose David, they will always talk about his his attitude and his things. But I think the key to it is not his performance at all. David was chosen because God saw a heart that was wide open to God. I want you to see this in Scripture. So I want you to look at what God did. It says, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Isn't it funny that the Scripture plays, Everyone that was not chosen, David was anointed in the middle of them. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward that's key the spirit of the lord came upon david and stayed in the old testament the spirit would be given and then taken off and given and taken off given for for performance and then taken off but on david the spirit was given and it remained from that day forward now when i read scripture i I try to think what it would be like to be there And I see Samuel and he pours the oil upon the head and perhaps he leans down and he whispers in David's ear, David, you are the next king. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and remains. What did David do? What was David's response? The next word says, and Samuel went to another place. The Scripture doesn't say anything. I know he didn't make his way down to the department store and begin sizing up a crown. He didn't order his new business cards with a title change from runt to king. He didn't throw it in his brother's face and say, King me. There's no response. Not a word is recorded. But Scripture implies that David went right back to the sheep. Everything had changed, and yet nothing had changed as far as David's heart. Now this is not, this is me. I can imagine David going back, getting out with the herd, and being there, and sitting on the side of the hill as he saw the sheep down there, and And looking over them and seeing that they were all counting and making sure everything was going. And I can just almost hear that David that night say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His own name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. I can still smell it. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On the side of a slope. Smelling of anointing oil. None of that's recorded except that we have what David wrote in Psalm 23. Well, what was it that God saw in David's heart? Not what was his performance. The key, we go back to verse 22 of Acts 13. He says, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. God's Word translation says, He will do everything I want Him to do. And that's when it hit me. God found a man who would do what God wanted instead of what He wanted for Himself. All of a sudden, I saw Saul. All Saul was cared about was Saul. He was king, but what he cared about was Saul. All David cared about was God. I found a man, a man after my own heart, who will do everything I want Him to do. We think that's performance, but listen, it starts way before performance. You've got to have the right attitude. You've got to have the right heart. So I want you to look at the heart of David. And I don't have to imagine what his heart was like because it's written in the Scripture. First of all, David's heart was wide open to God. Max Lucado uses the term. He said David had a God-intoxicated heart. God saw David and his attention was on God. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read them. Oh God, you are my God. Early, early. I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and thirsty land. And a shepherd would know that. Where there is no water. So I looked for you in the sanctuary. And I bet the sanctuary was the stars of the sky. To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness, your grace, your covenant grace is better than life. My lips shall praise you. He was a worshiper. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. God, my passion is set on you, and I will praise you. You're the reason I live, and by the power of you, I do great exploits. God was his passion. God was His priority. Psalm 27, 4 in the Amplified, "...this one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple." Now, there's only a pro- one problem with that. There wasn't a temple. The temple hadn't been built. Well, what is He saying? I'll meditate uh, in His temple... I believe what he was saying is, I'm going to meditate in your presence. David knew the presence of God that wasn't in a house, that wasn't in a tent, that wasn't just in a box. He knew that the presence was with him in the field, in the sanctuary. God was his priority. This one thing. Verse 8 My heart heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Verse 11, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Verse 13, yet I'm confident of this. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. You're my priority. God, you're my number one. In reality, we often hear people say, well, you know, make God your number one. Well, in reality, I think we need to make God our only one. He's not just first in my heart or first on my list. He's the center of my being. He's the reason I live, move, and have my being. There's the passion, the priority, and then the purity. David had an honest and transparent heart. Now listen to me. He was a sinner. Most of us in this room haven't committed sins that David committed. He was a sinner. We're all sinners, but we're not all repenters. David not only sinned, but he repented. He repented of those sins. He understood. He wasn't a sinless man, but a sinner who confesses and repents, then sins less. Psalm 25 verse 7 says, Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgression. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Lord, forgive my sin because you're good. Not so I can get away with it. In verse 11 of... 25 says, For your name's sake. Now think about that. God, I want you to pardon my iniquity for your name's sake because my sin's great. That's what he said. For your name's sake, pardon my iniquity for it's great. Psalm 51, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, verse 3 and 4 of the New Living Translation says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me. Day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. He saw what his sin did to God, not just what it did to him or even what it may have done to others. He had misrepresented the God he served. And he said, Lord, for your name's sake, for your glory, for your goodness, forgive me. And he persisted in his trust. Not that he didn't turn away. He turned away up many times. But he always turned back. Many of us have turned away. The key is not about the turning away, it's the turning back. Psalm 25, 4 and 5 says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the one, you are the God who saves me. All day long I've put my hope, my expectation in you. David understands his life is under the absolute control of God. And really he understood that no matter, he said even if I go down to Sheol, you're going to be there. You're in control, God, not my enemies. I trust you. Then David had a heart filled with power. It wasn't his power. Now David was a mighty man and he surrounded him with mighty men. I think it's 1 Samuel 18 that just describes all the exploits and the battles he won and everything like that. So I'm not shirking what he did But it wasn't, he didn't do that by the power of his own wisdom or the power of his own mind or might. David understood where it says, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David and remains, stays, from that day forward. David was not just a man before his time, what he could see. David started worship before there was worship that was ordained in the ways that we know. David started worship when the, the, the law required walls. and David got inside the walls. David understood covenant with God that something was coming that was going to be better. And God saw his heart and showed him things that no other king saw. The Spirit of the Lord kept him. The Spirit of the Lord moved him. The Spirit of the Lord taught him and empowered him. And because of that, it set him as a standard that all future kings would be compared to. Later on, they'd say, well, he did the works, but he didn't do the works of David. He didn't do all that David did. In other words, David did what God wanted him to do. You say, well, preacher, that doesn't... That doesn't leave me in a very good place. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh of those who trust in Jesus Christ. You can be filled with the same Spirit that God filled David with. It was His Holy Spirit. And now without measure. You see, the key to winning in life is being a man after God's own heart. It's not what you're going to accomplish. It's not what, how many plaques you can hang on a wall or how much money you can put in the bank or how much you can leave for your family. It's not any of those things. And yet all of those things are still possible because of the wind in your heart. God's not going to withhold anything who puts Him in the place of priority. No good thing will I withhold from those who love me. So, I want to show you God's promise to this scripture. Psalms 89, verse 20. 89, verse 20. Psalms 89, verse 20. I found my servant David. That's the. Paul was quoting that in Acts 13, 22. I found my servant David. I've anointed him with my holy oil. Now, I want you to look at the promise. I will steady him with my hand. With my powerful arm I will make him strong. His enemies will not defeat him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness, God's faithfulness, and God's law, love will be with him. And by my authority he will grow in power. Say, so preacher, what are you saying? I believe with all of my heart that God wants to say that about each of us this morning. I believe whether you're a new believer, a non-believer, an immature believer, or a veteran in the faith, He wants to say, I found my servant in you. Someone who will accomplish all my will. You are a person after my own heart and I'm going to build my kingdom of purpose and peace in your life, in your family, in your relationships, in your business, in your job, in your ministry. Your enemies will not defeat you. Neither will the wicked overpower you because I'm the faithful one and my unfailing love will be with you and by my authority you will grow in power. That's for you. That promise is to you. The New Testament says what was written before time was written for our learning. It's available to us. God doesn't want to be at the top of your list. He wants to be at the center of your being. Permeating every aspect of your life. Enhancing each moment. Infusing each second with purpose and meaning. When God becomes your only passion, then you discover the life He has to even love yourself, to love your family the way you're supposed to, to live in your purpose and love those around you. That's the wind. A man after God's own heart. There's no good thing that he will withhold from the one. In fact, Second Chronicles says, verse 16, verse 19 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those who Whose hearts are fully committed to Him. When we fully commit our heart to Him, there's nothing He withholds from us. You say, Well, preacher, I I don't have. Well, maybe we need to check our heart. Maybe the issue is not our performance, maybe it's not our behavior, maybe it's who's at the center of my being. Who is making me who I am? Me or God? I want to invite you this morning just to take a moment and just ask the Lord, Lord, am I one after Your heart? Do I want Your will on earth as it is in heaven? Am I convinced that You are the one who can make all these things happen? You may be 13 and you may be 85 or 90. It's never too late. It's never too early to set God as your passion, your priority, your trust. Then He will empower you to be the man God intends every man to be, a man after his own heart. He promised David that there would always be of his lineage a king. Jesus is of the lineage of David. And He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's available for us to trust with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and might. And when we do, there's a promise. I will. I will. I will. Trust Him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus... We come before You to honor You for Your choosing us and allowing us to be Your sons and daughters. Six words to mark a man, to make a man, to transform a world, are a man after Your own heart. God, that's my desire. I want to be that man. Doesn't make a difference, but is different. Because your heart lives in me. Bless this, Lord. Bless this day. Bless these men. Bless these families. And Lord, may your name be glorified because we know you. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Fill us by your Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen good word this morning. I don't don't know what kind of father you grew up with. You may have had a wonderful father. You may have had a father that the only lessons you learned was what what not to do. Uh, Or you may have had a father uh, that wasn't present in your life at all. But We started with a scripture this morning in 2 Corinthians that said, For we are the temple of the living God. God is in us. And as God has said, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we have a perfect father who loves us and wants only the best for us. And all he's looking at or looking for is a heart that seeks him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You uh, for Your Son, Jesus Christ, that You loved us so much that You sent Him to live And die for us, Lord, to be that spotless lamb, Lord, to offer himself as a sacrifice, to take uh, the punishment for our sins that we might be redeemed. And all that you look for from us is a heart that receives that and accepts that and goes after you with everything that's in us, Lord. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide us into all truth and speak that truth to us. Give us a revelation today of that truth that we might have a heart like David's that only seeks you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go, just got a couple of announcements. First of all, I'll start off with an apology. Uh, When we were doing communion earlier, I'm supposed to... Have you raised your hand? And they'd bring you a cup if you didn't get one. Uh, so if you were left out, I'm very sorry about that. Uh, every every other Sunday, communion elements are available on both sides of the sanctuary and back by the sound booth. And uh, next time, I'll remember to, <laughs> to get those distributed. So I'm sorry if you didn't get that. There's not going to be any middle school or high school youth tonight. Uh, we just are. Uh, canceling that so that families can spend the time together and celebrate Father's Day. Just a reminder, again, there's a photo booth opportunity set up in the foyer with, uh, I think there's a, a apron and, and some grill items that uh, you can get to gather your family around that and take a picture, remember, this Father's Day. Also, Common Grounds will be open for Coffee and Fellowship this Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. And then last but not least, I just wanted to share uh, one more announcement but also a testimony. Uh, I think Mike let everybody know that uh, going forward, the the Chicken Express, is that right? Ch- Golden Chick, Golden Chick, we want to get that right. The Golden Chick next door, the owner of that... Uh, Facility has very graciously said that we can use that parking lot um, as overflow parking every Sunday. and when that property came up for sale, they offered it to us, and it was before we'd built the NCC West. And the elders talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we really, we heard very clearly what God had told us to do. And if we had purchased that property, we wouldn't have been able, um, to do that. And really, the only, we said, you know, that would be great, it's right next to us. And we said, but the only thing we could use it for is a parking lot. And, uh, and it would have been a very expensive parking lot. And so, God, <laughs> revamped it, tore down the house, got it all done, and built a parking lot in the back side, right next to where we needed it. And then the owner came and said, it's it's yours for use for free. Um, So God gave it to us exactly what we needed, so we're very thankful for that and just give him praise and glory for that as well. But just remember, uh, if it's ever full over here, you're welcome to park over there. In the next few weeks, we'll take that fence down and actually make some sidewalks and connectors to make it uh, better. So anyway, God bless you all. Have a great Father's Day. We're so thankful that you joined us for worship this morning. listening to this week's message.